first. Um, thank you, Ed, for sharing that. And um, he will be hanging around. So if you have any questions for him, come find him. And um, he loves to share about Africa University. So maybe we can have him back to hear more another time. So we appreciate you coming and sharing that. Um, I know I told you last week that we aren't going to move chapter by chapter in the Bible as we do this Wisdom of Scripture series, and I promise we are not, but you really can't separate Genesis 1 through 3. Um, they kind of connect, uh, we, and if we don't hold them together, we don't get this fuller picture of this overarching theme in Scripture. We miss part of what Scripture is trying to say. Um, so before we jump to Genesis 3, let's kind of retrace our steps. Genesis 1 and 2, two separate creation accounts, two different writers, perhaps writing several centuries apart. Both tell us something about God, about us, about creation, and the relationship of all of it between us and God, um, between one another, between us and creation. And we're given one of many names for God that we find in Scripture. God is creator. Genesis 1 gives us foundational language to speak about us and creation. And it was good. It was very good indeed. Humanity is created in the image of God, something of the divine in us, and we are to take delight and joy in this created world in the way that God does. We are to respect it, to love it, to care for it. And then Genesis 2, this connection we get to the soil. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We see the beauty in God's created order is that it is relational. It's connected by this invisible thread. And our call, our job, is to strive to stay in right relationship. On one side of the family tree with God, on the other side with the earth. And then we move into Genesis 3. The story of broken relationships. I tried to pick out pieces um, but I am going to read all of Genesis 3 because I want you to listen for, um, for all of those broken relationships. I think we dwindle it down sometimes between Adam and Eve and the snake, but there's a lot of brokenness named in this story. Um, and as we prepare to hear God's word this day, let us pray. You're waiting, oh God to hear your word, for in your word is our hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we hear your voice and be, a, be attentive to what you will say to us today. In the name of Christ, we ask this in all things. Amen. So reading from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the servant, Serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the, tree, of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened 
and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave me... She gave me the fruits from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth from you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, See, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat, of li- and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a little reminder, chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis are what we call origin stories, beginning stories. And when we get to Genesis 3, you can almost picture an ancient people looking around and on the one hand seeing all the beauty and wonder and colors and the animals and the water and the mystery and then living, seeing things go wrong seeing things they can't explain, and desperately wanting to make sense of it all. And they remember. They remember, we have a story of a good God who created us in all that there is, in love, by love, and for love. And all that God wanted was for us to choose God and to take care and to love for all that God had made. That was easier said than done. We chose fulfillment and things other than God. And so here we have this story, a story pretty early on in it all, of how relationships were broken between us and God, 
between us and one another, right off the bat, we start blaming each other. And between us and the earth itself. And if you move through those first 11 chapters of Genesis, um, those continued origin stories, you find more broken relationships. More stories of people um, seeing things go wrong, seeing things they can't explain, and desperately wanting to make sense of it all. And then there's that word, that word we use for Genesis 3, the fall, the first sin that messed it up for everyone. And we can get into the theological weeds of it all, um, terms like original sin that were tagged to this story about the fourth century by Augustine of Hippo, um, but I don't know that we can um, theologize, is that a word, our way out of this? Once the term original sin came in, onto the stage, we started to see this story as an explanation for the human tendency to choose evil instead of good. I don't know if this story is that simple. This story reminds us of our connection, the intimate, fragile relationships set up in this beautiful, good, created order, and it names the truth of free will and shows the messiness of our choices. This story is messy because it was created and told by a people living life. And life is messy. Barbara Brown Taylor, in her work, Speaking of Sin, The Lost Language of Salvation, she says, we don't invent the realities that the words sin and salvation name. Long before there were preachers or churches or even organized religions, there were essential human experiences of community and of alienation, of connection and of disconnection to the divine, to one another. How do we know, she says? You can find paintings of those experiences on the walls of prehistoric caves, and you can hear richly symbolic stories about them that predate written language. She tells the story um, this way, retells the story this way in her work. She says, before there was any such thing as a Christian doctrine of original sin, there was a story about a man and a woman the first man and woman, who lived in a beautiful garden full of peacocks and calla lilies and panda bears. This paradise contained everything their hearts could desire, including the close, sheltering presence of God. There was only one thing in the whole garden they couldn't have, only one thing that God commanded them to leave alone, and that was God's own tree. You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, God had told them, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. So, of course, from the moment on, that was the only thing they wanted. The fruit of that tree probably tasted better than the fruit of all the other trees combined. It probably tasted like a cross between fresh pineapple and ripe cherries. Plus, it clearly had magical powers. Eating that fruit was what made God God which was why God did not want them to go anywhere near it. Or at least, that's what the snake said. 
The snake was a marvelous creature with a tongue like a pink silk banner that rippled as he spoke. He took a real interest in Adam and Eve. He explained things to them, whereas God had not. All God had really told them was to stay away from the tree. But the snake told them why. You will not die, the snake said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the snake left Adam and Eve alone to make up their own minds. It didn't take them long. In the first recorded act of human initiative, they decided for themselves what was best for them. They ex exercised their freedom to disobey God's command, ate the fruit, wound up standing on the curb outside the garden with their battered suitcases lying beside them on the ground. The snake was right. They didn't die as God had said, but it was the end of life as they had known it. And one afternoon, they lost everything, their paradise, their, in their intimacy with God. All it took was one stupid, willful decision, and there was no going back. They had acquired the knowledge of good and evil, along with the knowledge of which one they had chosen. From the moment they left the garden, life was hard. Life was painful. Life was forever out of whack. If we continue to tell the story, that is because it continues to be true for us. If we continue to tell the story, that is because it continues to be true for us. In other words, there's wisdom in this story we are to glean. But we admit that that wisdom may be a little hard to flesh out, may be defined in different ways by different people. If we're honest, the story is compelling because it is messy. As Taylor says, if God didn't want them to eat from the tree, why put it there in the first place? And who came up with the snake? If it was all just a test, why not start a little smaller? Baby steps, maybe. It seems from the start that Adam and Eve are just getting used to this world and how it works. And then they are immediately presented with their first moral choice. And as Taylor says, they made the wrong choice. It's a wonderful story, she says, not because there are no problems in it, but because it tells the truth about the way things really are. We really are free to make disastrous decisions, and our choices really do have consequences. And there really are some flaws in the whole setup, whether they come in the form of a talking snake or in the form of this biological urge we have to choose things that we know are ruinous for us and the whole creation. So what's the wisdom we're supposed to take from a messy, problematic story that let's admit has been used at times to cause harm, but name some fundamental truths? Well, one, we claim free will. We acknowledge that we have the freedom to choose. We acknowledge that we each have the capacity for evil. There are no good people and bad people. We're just people. Given this gift of life, a gift of free will, the gift of choice, and let's be honest, choices aren't always so simple, are they? They're not always as easy as right and wrong. They're messy. And two, 
Well, Genesis 1 through 3 held together name that our lives are fundamentally linked with other lives, fundamentally linked with creation. And Genesis 3 gives us a picture of wrecked relationships with God, with one another, with creation itself. But relationships can be mended. Sin is not simply a set of behaviors to be avoided. It's not this violation of laws, as one theologian said, but the violation of relationships. Maybe that's the simple wisdom in this story. That ancient people looked around and they knew deep in their bones that something was off. So they named it in a story that held what they saw as the heart of it all. We were created to be one way, to live in a relational world, to stay in right relationship with God, with one another, with creation, and we chose another way. But, and I'm sure you've noticed this, the story doesn't end there. It carried on and on and on. It carries on. And much like last week when I said we don't each have to have a garden in our backyard to redeem and repair our relationship with the earth, we also don't have to be best friends with everybody. But we lean into a God of grace who loves us as we are, for who we are, for who we were created to be, and we allow that love, that grace to shape us, to become part of us to call us, to empower us to see the other as one whom God loves. God created all that is and called it good. God created a relational, connected world. God created us as relational beings. God gave us free will. And relationships are hard. They're messy. They get broken. Harm happens but they can be repaired. We opened worship with words from Jesus because in Jesus, we see how this mending looks. We see redemption. Because of Jesus, we can confidently proclaim that sin has no power over us. Yeah, that tree may still be there. The choice to find fulfillment in things other than God it's still there, but the weight of these broken relationships does not have to define us. You want to aid God in the redemptive and restorative work of Jesus? Love God, love neighbor. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And if you start to hold um, the weight of it all too much, the brokenness, um, choices you've made, guilt in your own life, if it all becomes too heavy, just go back to that first story, the original wisdom. Remember those words. It was good. It was so very good. Amen. Amen.